In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, I just commit this time into your hands, Lord, that you will continue to do what you have told us that you will do, Lord Father. That you will build us up, that you will give us a new beginning, Lord Father. You will make us the kind of people you want us to be, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that every one of us will be attentive to your word, Lord Father. And to take that which you have for us, Lord Father. Father, we surrender ourselves into your hands and we pray, Lord, that you will do a mighty thing in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, please take your seats. <clears throat> now, it just happened to be that one day, all the employees of a company reached their office and they saw a big notice stuck on their company door. The notice had these words written on it. Yesterday, the person who had been hindering your growth in this company passed away. We invite you to join the funeral in the room that has been prepared in the gym. Well, in the beginning, everyone felt sad that somebody, a colleague, had died. But after a while, they started getting curious. Now, who is this guy who died? Okay, who is this colleague who died? And whose funeral are we going to be attending? And so people started uh, walking towards the gym to attend the funeral. There was a coffin that they could see, but they couldn't identify the guy. So everybody was thinking, I really need to see who this person is who's been hindering my progress. I'm glad he's dead. Okay, but I just need to know who this guy is. And then, as in most funerals, you have the privilege of walking around the coffin and paying your last respects to the body in the coffin. And so there were the lines that were formed and people were starting to move forward. And as they got close to the coffin, they had to peep into the coffin to try to identify who this person is, to find out who was this dear departed soul, this person who had been hindering their progress in, their com in this company all this time. Now as each person bent over and looked into that coffin, he or she stopped for a moment in shock. Because who they saw was themselves. There was a mirror in the coffin. Who they were looking at was not a colleague. Forward. If you want to advance, you better change. You better bury your yesterday. Your yesterday's dead and gone. The coffin is there and you've seen yourself in that coffin. Let that you disappear and let a new you start the new year. And next to that coffin was also a sign which read, do you wish to stay dead or would you like to be revived? And that's really the question that I'm going to ask you over the next 40 minutes. Do you wish to stay dead or would you like to be revived? Remember, this is the year of revival for our church.
Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. If you return to the Lord with all your heart. Turn also with me to a verse that we have already quoted, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 Right, you got it there on the screen. If my people who are called by my name Now let me take a stop here. What does it say? It says, if my people who are called by my name. Now, who is that to us? My name, if, you, if many of you don't know it, or if some of you don't know it, is Leslie Smiles. Smiles is the family name. My son is a Smiles. My father is a Smiles. So we go by the name Smiles. When you are a child of God, you are called by his name. Am I right? So in order to be called by his name, because it says there, if my people who are called by my name. So if you want to be called by his name, you need to be his people. So criteria number one is, this statement is for those who have already received the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior. If you are born again, this statement is addressed to you. This is not addressed to the stranger out there. Because the statement is, if my people who are called by my name, and the people who are called by his name are those who have received God as their father. If God is my father, I am his son, therefore I take his name. So this instruction, believe me, is for born again people. Let's not hide behind the fact that I am born again. Therefore, I don't have to humble myself. I don't have to pray and seek the face of God. Because everything is fine with me. It isn't so. And that's why we need revival. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. You see, it goes on. It's a verse which we quote so often. Just like John 3.16, we can rattle it off our tongues, but how many of us have really understood that verse? Just as much as how many of us have understood John 3.16. We have memorized it, we quote it, we rattle it off without understanding it. But that's the verse. Our theme for this year is revival. But what exactly is revival? When we think of revival, we think of camp meetings, huge evangelistic meetings. If you go back into the history of revivals, you will find that in the 1700s, there were traveling preachers in the United States who went from one place to another. And when people in that area, maybe 50, 100 kilometers in that area, heard that a preacher was coming, they would come two or three days in advance of the meeting because they did not have fast cars. They did not have planes or helicopters to bring them to the site of the meeting. They would come three days earlier and they would pitch their tents and they would stay there till the day of the meeting. And those meetings used to be huge. And that's why they were called camp meetings. It was because people used to come from hundreds of miles away in advance, stay there for two or three days for the preacher to come. And that would revive their spirits. That was the origin of the big evangelistic revival camp meetings. But I'm not talking about that today. I'm just asking you, what is revival? We're going to be talking about this this year. Next 360 days, we're going to be talking about revival. Because that's the theme for our church this year. Now, if you look at dictionaries, you will find that there's a whole variety of meanings. But the one that hit me as what I liked best, I felt it was most appropriate, was this. Revival is to restore someone or something back to life from a near dead state. Revival is to restore someone or something back to life from a near dead state. Now doctors, nurses, those in the medical profession will know what it's like to have a person suddenly die in front of you. And at that moment, whatever type of code you call it, code red or code blue or code black or whatever, the immediate attempt is to revive the person. You do what you can to revive the person. You don't revive a living person. You revive a person who's near dead. You try to revive. Sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. 
So revival. So when we say that this is the year of revival, our bottom line of understanding must be that you, you and I have to revive something or somebody who is near dead. You and I are not going to be trying to revive somebody who is living and doing things next to you. Two thousand two, there was a United States uh, Secretary of Defense, very interesting guy, called Donald Rumsfeld. He was the Secretary of Defense to George Bush. And at one media meeting, he quoted, and I can't quote him. Okay, it's impossible to quote to re-quote Donald Rumsfeld. Okay, but let me try getting his words across. Which, and he said something which actually became statements upon which research and thesis have been built ever since. He spoke about the known knowns, the known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. And people were trying to understand what is this known knowns, what is this known unknowns, and what is this unknown unknowns. But I'm not going to talk about that. I thought that was a good start. What I'm going to talk about is, in church, we have the born but dead. We have the born again and dead. And we have the born again and alive. Now, revival is actually for the born again but dead. The born but dead need salvation, not revival. They need salvation. The born again and alive are fine. Now, how many of us are born again and alive? Many of us are born again, but we are dead. Now, I told Pastor, when he told me that I was going to share the message on the first Friday, I said, Pastor, not me. Why don't you ask Pastor Francis? Or somebody else. Not me. He said, no, why not? You do it. I said, my message has always hit the people the wrong way. And I don't want to start 2019 by hitting people the wrong way. I, I, I would still like to come to your house for a cup of tea. I said, you're going to give me a cup of hot water, pour down my neck. He said, no, 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 it's okay, go speak. And that's why I'm here. So revival is to restore someone or something back to life from a near dead state. Now I really need us to look back onto our own lives. Our homes need revival. Fathers, mothers, think about your own homes. Be brutally frank to yourself. Our homes need revival. Our churches need revival. 
Our home country needs revival, whichever country you come from. This nation needs revival. Because in the spiritual sense, the whole world is practically dead. It needs to be revived. We are all living, but we are near dead. Psalm 51, verse 10, David writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. You see, David was a man who was close to God. God loved David. David was a man who made mistakes, but he returned to the Lord every time. And yet, he has to say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Because it's in the heart that we think the wrong things. And it's only God who knows what's, what we are thinking in our hearts. Create a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 5 verse 21 writes, Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. The first time I read this one, I read it as, this is Lamentations 5.21. Turn back to us, O Lord. And then I read it again. I said, this is different. This is, turn us back to you. Turn us back to you. That means it's us, it's we who have moved away from God. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet says, turn us, turn the people back to you, O Lord. Because it's the people who need revival. God doesn't need revival. It's you and I who need revival. Now over the next 12 months, you will probably hear quite a few messages on revival pertaining to the church. And that is something we need to hear. However, today the focus of this message is on personal revival. Where do I start? Where do you start? How do I get right with God? How do I get closer to God? How is God going to restore me to life? And therefore the title of my message simply is Personal Revival, Realization to Restoration. Personal revival, realization to restoration. And so to elaborate on this personal revival, we are going to look at an extremely well-known scripture passage, and that is this. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. It's the parable of the lost son. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. 
So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now verses 11 to 16, we are not going to focus on that, but verses 11 to 16 describe the slippery slope to ruin that the young man finds himself in. Now here is a young man comes from a respectable, well-to-do family. They have got property. They have got land. But he lets his self-will and his selfishness to separate him from his family. And then through wasted livings, bad friends, bad counselors, bad companions, he ends up in spiritual destitution, starvation, and finally in the pigsty. So from a valley of depression and disaster, let us look at his revival and restoration. And that's a pattern that's there in the scripture for you and me to follow. Number one, realization. Verse 17, realization. Realization is the first step in personal revival. You see, from the depth of his despair, the young man sees the worth of his father's house. That was something he spurned. He said, I want to get out of here. Give me my portion and I'm out. But now, sitting in that pig sty, he sees the worth, he realizes the worth of his father's house. He sees what he has thrown away. He realizes the privileges that he has thrown out. Acts chapter 2 verse 37. When Peter preached to the people on the life of Jesus Christ, on his crucifixion, on his rising up from the dead, the people were cut to their heart 
And then they said, men and brethren, they addressed Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They realized their pitiful state. They realized that they were not close to God. They realized that they were sinners. So the first step to restoration and revival is you need to realize where you are. You need to realize who you are. You need to realize what's happening in your life. Because if you can't look at yourself and find out what is wrong with yourself, there is no revival. The first step in personal revival is realization. Take a moment to just look at your own life. Are you really happy with the state of your life right now? Don't look at me. I'll decide my own state. Look at your own life and decide. Are you really happy? No complaints. Do you think that things could get better in your life? Do you think that there is something that could be better for tomorrow? That's realization. And you see, you also need to recognize and realize that you are the person who has to take that first step. If you want revival, you have got to take that first step. Number two, resolution. Verse 18, resolution. Having identified the sorry state that he was in, our young man doesn't desire to remain there but chooses to act. How he is going to be accepted in his father's house, he doesn't know. But he resolves to go back. Many of us resolve to do certain things every time a new year comes around. We call these new year resolutions. Now, unfortunately, many of us lack the commitment to push through with our resolutions. Now, I'm not talking to you about what Pastor Francis said a few minutes back when he said, if you have written down something that you want God to answer, take it out and we'll pray about that. We did this last year. We've done this in years past. And right through the year, we bring out those points and we pray. Because who has to take the decision there? God. You are giving him your list. You are telling him, this is what I want to happen in my life. I want this, I want this, I want this. And it is for God to answer. But where is it we fail? We fail when there are things that we have to do. Today morning, I checked my weight. I'm telling you the truth. You can ask my wife. Okay. 
and I'm overweight. So what should I do? What should I do? Eat less. Reduce my weight. It's my health. It's my health. I should know the consequences of being overweight. And so I will decide. I haven't decided that yet. Probably decide after lunch today. That <laughs> I am going to eat less. But believe me, that's going to last till next Thursday. Because Friday is feasting time. Okay, where's my resolution gone? I don't have the commitment to carry it out. So resolution is actually decision time. You've got to see your situation and you've got to decide this is not on. I am going to change. You take a decision and you stick it, stick to it. And when you decide to do that, do the best you possibly can to make that change. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, Paul says, and I quote from the English Standard Version, "Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth." It starts with do your best. In every situation, once you take a decision, do your best. Don't be lackadaisical about it. Don't be casual about it because that is resolution. Resolution is actually re-solution. You know the solution and you're getting to it. That's a re-solution which is resolution. Number 3 verse 18 and 19 repentance. So number 1 is realization, number 2 is resolution, number 3 is repentance. Now along with his desire to return to his father is the knowledge that the young man had that he has sinned he is not going back hoping that things are going to work out well he is returning to ask for his father's forgiveness i have sinned and i am sorry are hard words to say but the young man decided to do it and the fact of the matter is so should you and i we need to turn to god and say i'm sorry for what i have done i'm sorry that i have been disobedient i am sorry that i have hurt you forgive me i'm sorry that i have brought your name to shame for god to hear your cry and to revive and restore you he needs to hear your words of true repentance second chronicles 7:14 i will repeat it this is the lord speaking to solomon the wisest man who ever lived and he says this if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways 
then I will hear. Every comma, every colon, semicolon, every full stop is very useful in the Word of God. Then I will turn comes after. Let my people who are called by my name turn from their wicked ways. There has to be repentance. Do you need to repent? It will depend on whether you have realized that you are not right. And if you have resolved that you want to change. Number four, return. Verse 20. The young man's statement or decision was not a verbal statement. He acted on it immediately. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And he did it. You see, the young man realized his pitiful state. And he resolved to repent and to return. And that is exactly what he did. He did not wait for a future appropriate time. Revival time is always now. It is not something for the future. Now, in the practice of emergency medicine, and I'm sure Dr. Rajesh will back me up on this, there is a procedure called tracheostomy. Okay, ghastly looking procedure. But it's an emergency medicine. Okay, remember that. It's a procedure to cut open the throat area by qualified nurses, doctors, we cut open the throat, slash it open, as if we are ready to murder somebody. This is called tracheostomy. Okay. With one objective, and that objective is to permit free flow of air into the lungs. The person is going to die because he's not getting oxygen. And so to make a way forward, we have to slash open the, the neck. I mean, that doesn't mean right through and through. Okay, we don't separate the head from the body. Okay. But you know, you have to make a hole. It's a little slash. We take a knife and we do that. Now, the dictum in medicine is that, or rather, the dilemma in medicine is that, at what point do you do this? How do you plan for this? And the dictum that I was taught is simply this. You do not schedule a tracheostomy beforehand. When you see the patient struggling to breathe, do it. The time to, for tracheostomy is now. The decision is taken now. You don't plan for tracheostomy on whom you're going to do it. Your planning is your practice, your skills development, all of that. Okay, maybe when you go to a hotel, you see somebody you want to cut open, you can try it. Okay. But when you apply it on a patient, you don't say that, okay, this patient, one week down the line, is going to go in for respiratory distress, so I'm going to plan a tracheostomy for him. No. When you see the person in difficulty, you do it. Okay, the decision is instant. Revival decision is instant. You can't say, I will wait for next week. For revival. Revival is now. Do not plan for a good day or a good time. The time to return to the Lord is now. 
Number five, reconciliation. So number four was return. Number five is reconciliation. Even as the young man took one step, this is verse 20, towards his father, who was eagerly waiting for this day, the father took 10 steps and ran to reach him. Did the father bother about his ragged state? When he left, he might have been suited and booted. But now he has nothing. He's been living in a pigsty. He's probably wearing torn jeans. I mean, I, I see this out in Carrefour. And I sometimes wonder whether these people were actually in the pigsty. Because during my days, torn jeans is not what you wear. Okay. Now, actually, the jeans covers less area than what is revealed. Okay. However, this young man might have been there with his torn jeans. I don't know. Did the father bother about all that? Did the father say that, oh, now bring perfume. I need to spray this guy. He's smelling like a pig. Yes, he's smelling like a pig. He was living with the pigs. What do you expect him to smell like? But the father went and hugged him and kissed him. That is reconciliation. Reconciliation is not standing there and say, you know, you did this to me. Now you're coming back to me because you lost all your money. That is not reconciliation. Yes, the father knew that the son lost everything. Did the father talk about it? The father wanted the son. What's money? Some of us lost money in demonetization. So money can disappear suddenly. Who is important? Your son. That's reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, Paul writes, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. But the verse starts by saying that the process of reconciliation was started by God. God reconciled us to himself. And then the message which Paul gives out is, please be reconciled to God. Because God forgives. You don't let that worry you. Don't think that the mistakes you have committed in the past is going to be a stumbling block between you and God. No. Provided you repent and you say, God, I'm sorry. God says, come. That's reconciliation. Number six, restoration. Verse 22. You will see that the father reclothed his son restored on him the privilege of being a son by putting a ring in his right hand or rather a ring in his hand he put sandals on the feet of his son and if you go by culture the ring is given only to the son 
The father puts the ring only on the hands of the son. Sandals are never worn by slaves and servants. This young man said, let me go back to my father and say that I am not worthy to be called your son. Let me be as a hired worker. Let me be like a slave, a servant in your house. But the father totally changed the, the situation. First thing he said, ring, it's my son. Second thing he said, slippers, sandals. This guy is not a servant. This guy is a son. He's an heir in this house. That is restoration. That is what God is telling you and me. Return to me. Return to me and I will restore unto you. The boy never asked for the ring or the sandals. It was the father who put the ring and gave the sandals. God's business is restoration. He'll do it. He's done it so many times. So many of us need that restoration. Now we hide under masks. We know this. I don't need to tell you, this is nothing strange. We hide under masks. But we need restoration. We need revival. The final thing, number seven, is rejoicing. Verse 23, 24. The father organized a celebratory party, not just because his son came home. It was something more than that. He who was considered dead was now alive. That is revival. That's what we have defined revival as. He who was considered lost is now found. And the one who rejoiced most in that house was the father. So if you and I choose to return to God today, the one happiest is God. Because you and I are his creation. He created us. And we are his living beings made in his own image. He did not create us as a box. He did not create us as this camera. He did not create me as that light or the clock or the t television screen, whatever. He created me in his own image. And so when I return to him, the happiest person is God himself. God has never given up on you and me. Please remember that. He's never given up. He never will ever give up. Okay? But in your revival and in my revival, heaven celebrates. God celebrates. You and I can rejoice and we can celebrate. Now let me bring this to a close. Revival is not something that happens just in big evangelistic meetings. Revival is something that happens inside you and me. It is at an individual level. Revival is actually your second 
personal encounter with God. Your first encounter was when you gave your life to God when you were born again. And revival comes after that. There's a time when you have backslidden. And very often we don't know when we have backslidden. Because we think that everything is right. Everybody else can see that nothing is right. And so my revival is my second encounter with God. This year, 2019, why don't we stop lamenting? Why don't we just stop crying about this thing or that thing or every other thing? Why don't we just look at our own spiritual lives, take an inventory of it, and act upon it? Maybe you have been spiritually dead or half dead, near dead, until now. But the time has come to live again, to live life abundantly, to live life as God intended for you and me. Your personal revival is your road to spiritual prosperity. Church, shall we pray? Continue to talk to God. Lord, revive me in every area that my life has gone to a death situation. Lift me up and revive me. In area where I've turned away from you, Father, revive me. Psalm 119 verse 37 says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Father, revive me in your own way. I want to know you more and more. Revive me. I'm looking for it. I want it in my life. Whatever I do, Lord, wherever I've delayed, revive me. Talk to God. Psalm 119 verse 40 say, Behold, I long for your precept. Revive me in your righteousness. Father, in your righteousness, revive me. I want to be welcome home. Revive me. I'm afflicted. Revive me. According to your word. Revive me, Lord. Thank you, almighty God. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Praise the Lord. It's time to come for the communion.
This is time for us to come for the first communion of first Friday of the year. Turn with me to First Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter eleven. I will read from verse twenty-three. First Corinthians. Chapter 11 from verse 23. For I have received, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had thanks, he, he has given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it. Take it, this is my blood body, which is broken for you. Do this in, my, in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I will stop here very briefly. Communion, we all know, is a sacrament that Jesus has instructed us to follow. And who are the us here? The followers. We are the followers of Christ that we need to partake in this communion. Holy Communion is what Jesus Christ has done. It's an event that he did with his disciples before he left. On the last Passover with his disciple, he established this, that it should be done in his remembrance. So, Holy Communion is a reminder to us what Jesus has done. It is, it is not just a reminder alone, it's also reminding us as a follower of Christ. So, if you, that verse 23 to 25 I've read, Talking about looking back. He talks about looking back. He says, for I received. He's talking about the past. And verse 24 says, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, take this. This is my body which is broken for you. This is in remembrance of me. Then the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood. This does often as you drink it in remembrance of me. These three verses are, can be said to be a looking back. There are some moments in our life as well that is so essential for us that we look back. For some people, it is the day they gave back to their child. For some, it is the day that they got married. But as a Christian, we have to think of that very day that we have given our life unto God. The day we have given our life unto Christ. This is why Jesus is telling us to do that in remembrance of him. Our present should be spent in gratitude to what God has done in the past. So the lost table 
is a time of remembrance of what Jesus did on cross of Calvary. As we'll be doing it this afternoon, we are remembering what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary. When he was betrayed, his body, just like the bread, was broken that very day. And his blood, just like the wine, was poured out, out of him. So that is why we have to look back of what he has done for us. We have to think of what he has done and obey his command that do this in remembrance of me. When you read further verse 26, he's talking about looking at the future. Verse 26, it reads, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Till he comes to me, you are looking at the future. Nobody knows when he's coming. As you partake in Holy Communion, you are looking at the future. That is what he's saying. The Lord's table is not just to look back of what he has done. Because it's very hard for us to keep looking back without looking forward. We have to look forward. Again, you have to look backward to know where you are coming from. At the table, we also remember that we have a hope and a future before us. When you partake in Holy Communion, it shows that you have a hope because Jesus Christ is coming back. Even though he was killed, but he's alive. He's here right with us. Because the cross itself was empty. He risen up again. He's alive. So Jesus Christ is coming back. As you partake in that Holy Communion, as we take the bread and the wine, it shows that we are confirming that Jesus Christ is coming back. So when we drink the wine, when we take the bread, we remember that on the last day, in the wedding feast, we are going to reign with him. Praise the Lord. So, all what we are doing today is an indication of what to come. It's an indication of what to come. None of us know the hour and the time that our Lord Jesus Christ will return. But the communion is reminding us that he is coming back. When you read verse 27 to 30, he's talking about inward, looking inward. We have looking back, we have looking into the future. Then we need to look inward. Therefore, whosoever eat this bread or drink this cup of the Lord in a worthy manner will be guilty of the blood of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread. You need to look inward to yourself and examine yourself. Whether you are taking it in a worldly manner. Why can't we just close our eyes and begin to talk silently to God 
that Lord, I'm looking inwardly. This is area of our life that I think I'm derailing. Help me, Lord. Because of your promises that when we look at you, you will heal us. You will listen to us. You will hearken to us. Father, these are the area. It is important to search your heart so that when Jesus returns, your mind and your heart will be clean and you'll be able to reign with him. So talk to God. Lord, I want to partake in this Holy Communion. Take every filthy garment away from my, from my life. Everything that will make me to, be, to look unworthy, Father, take them away. Try to examine yourself. What are the areas today that your relationship with Jesus Christ is being affected before, because of your behavior? So talk to God. Lord, I want to see you. I want you to go, come into my life. I want you to visit into my life. I say, partake in this holy communion. Let your name be glorified. Let it be fruitful in my life. Let me lead. Let it lead me in your path. Talk to God. Begin to ask yourself that, Lord, I confess every sin that I've committed. If you are claiming you don't have sin, you are deceiving yourself. First John 1 said that. You must acknowledge that you are a sinner and you need to repent. Repent from that way. Those are the things that can cause hindrance, that can make you unworthy to take this holy communion. Father, we want to thank you. We bless your holy name. Lord, we have come to your table. Let your presence be with us in the mighty name of Jesus. As we partake in this holy communion, we pray and we decree, Lord, that this communion shall be fruitful in our life in the mighty name of Jesus. And whatever area of our life, we have gone contrary to your promises or to your word in our life. Have mercy and forgive us in the mighty name of Jesus. We are here to reconcile with you. We are here to take resolute. We are here to return to you. And we are here that we want you to restore our life back so that we can rejoice in you. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name, we are praying. Father, we bless the communion. Let the blood of Jesus cover it in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Um, as I, the usher will guide you and direct you, please let's be quick. And um, the Lord will perfect what that concerns us in Jesus' name.
As we drink this cup, we worship you. As we eat this bread, we honor you. And we offer you our lives as you have offered yours for us. We remember all you've done for us. We with us Lord we remember and worship you oh Lord as we drink this cup we worship you as we eat this bread, we honor you, and we offer you our lives as you have offered yours for us. We covenant with us Lord we for us. Lord, we remember and worship you, O Lord. As we drink, as we drink this cup, we worship you. As we eat this bread, we honor you, and we offer you our lives as you have offered yours for us. We covenant with us. Lord, we remember and worship you, O Lord. We remember, we remember all you've done for us. We remember 
sacrifice for us. Lord, we remember and worship you, O Lord. As we drink this cup, we worship you. As we eat this bread, we honor you. And we offer you our lives as you have offered yours for us. We All you've done for us, we remember your covenant with us. Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord. We remember, we remember all you've done for us. We remember your sacrifice for us. Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord. We remember, we remember all you've done for us. We remember your covenant with us. Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord. We remember, we remember all you've done for us. We remember your sacrifice for us. Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord. We remember all you've done for us. We remember your covenant, Lord, we remember and worship you, oh Lord. Church, where we stand on our feet, please. We just partake in the communion and we heard the choir sing that we remember what was done on the cross. But just to reflect more closely 
when he went to the cross you and i were on his mind when he died and was buried and rose again you and i were on his mind the bread that we took shows us how christ was broken for you and me he was beaten for you and me he was whipped for you and me he was crushed for you and me and as we took the cup of wine we remember that he went willingly and shed his blood on the cross for you and me if you were the only person left in creation he would have gone to the cross for you or for me and by his stripes we are healed amen by his stripes you and i are healed in jesus name his death reconciled us back to the god the father his death brought life to us his death has created a way for us to live a new life just like him so that our life can bring glory honor and praise unto him because of the blood and the body that was shed on calvary may we remember that we will live all the days of our life to bring glory to his name wherever you go you will be a testimony to that mighty name of jesus amen father we thank you for all that you have done for us on the cross give us the grace master that this week and for years to come till we leave this world that we will remember the price you paid for us thank you for remembering me thank you for remembering my brothers and my sisters thank you for remembering the generations yet to come father we say thank you give us the grace master to serve you all the days of our life father may this week be a turning around master those who have gone far away from you give them the grace to come back to you daddy those who have wandered away from you thinking that we can live our own lives in our own way we ask you to bring us back to the cross father give us the grace no matter what happens we will praise you all the days of our life remembering the cross in jesus most precious and exalted name we pray amen let us share the grace together may the grace of our lord and savior jesus christ the love of god the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us now and forevermore amen surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life and we shall dwell in the house of the lord forever and ever amen, amen.